Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Well, good morning again, Covenant. Well, that was kind of low energy for all these people. Let's try that once more. Good morning. morning. That was much better. Um, How about you guys watching from home? Were you all allowed to? Good to see you. Uh, My name's Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. Join me in Revelation chapter 13. Today we discuss this non-controversial topic of the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, and the mark of the beast. Um, This one might get me into just a tad bit of trouble. Uh, and not even because you might disagree with me. We've said that from the outset. There's a lot of different ways that this book can be approached. There are various millennial views, various interpretive ways that, that this text has been approached over the last 2,000 years, all of which have been done and, and conducted by people who love Jesus, who love his word and believe his word. Uh, so even if you, if you take a different approach than I'm about to take this morning, uh, I'm not really going to get in trouble because we disagree. I, I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble because no matter what you believe this teaches, the application is pretty much the same. And the application is a warning against getting too close to earthly power. How's that for relevant? I finished putting this together in December, this message. I had no idea the world would be where it's at right now. I didn't know what was going to go on. Believe it or not, I really don't have that direct a connection um, it's funny. I get that sometimes. Pastor, will you pray for me? Yes, I will. Because I know you got the connection. Not any greater one than you do. If you got the Holy Spirit in you, you got the same connection I've got. That should make you feel good this morning. I don't have a direct amount. I don't know. And anybody, by the way, that tells you they do is selling you something. And so what we're going to look at today, I think, is, is providential. And we, we've done a fairly good job in, in the evangelical church, well, apart from the fear-mongering aspect of it, of warning people from God's word about the abuse of his good gift of sex. We've been faithful in that, generally speaking. Maybe not so well when it comes to the abuse of two other good gifts, money and power. And so today we're going to learn from this part of John's vision about the satanic lure of power. I grew up with Star Wars. I'm not talking about that fake prequel stuff. I'm talking about the original, baby, all right? 1977, episode four. I was a kid when that came out. Y'all, who's tracking with me? Who, who was there, right? When the theaters opened up. It was, I had never seen anything like it. And I'm going to tell you what I appreciated about it because I'm kind of a simple guy. Good was good and evil was evil. And there was this really clear line of demarcation in between them. I mean, Darth Vader was evil. He was kind of cool, but he was evil, right? Luke Skywalker is a little bit hot-headed and kind of young, but, but, but he, he, his heart was in the right place. And so, and so he embodied the good. And, and those first three movies kept those lines pretty neat and clean. And so it was easy, right? You just kind of, I don't know about you, but when I go to the movies, I don't typically go to think. I go to be entertained, all right? I saw this movie named Armageddon in Seminary. I made the horrible mistake of going with a classmate who prior to his call to ministry was a NASA engineer. Sucker actually built rockets for a living. 
And so I'm watching the movie, and he's leaning over the whole time going, hey, um, I, that, that, that can't happen. Because and I'm like, would you shut up? Right? I just, I just want to listen to the, I just want us to look at the movie, right? That, that's me. And, and so when the prequels came out as an adult in the late 90s, it started messing up those lines. They, they weren't so clear anymore because we found out that, you know, the evil didn't get taken away from Darth Vader, but actually, you know, he's got this whole background. He was born into slavery. He lost his mother. There's all, all these complications, right? All this stuff that really messed up his life. And, and ultimately what led him to what, what they call the dark side of the force wasn't that he had evil intent, but good intent. He was trying to save his mama. What good boy wouldn't be trying to save his mama? See, now all the lines are messed up. They're just all messed up. And behind all of that was this thing called, that, that episode one called the Phantom Menace. All right? There's this power at work behind the veil that nobody's really paying attention to. And it ended up being embodied in this senator named Palpatine. Have I gotten too nerdy for anybody yet? Y'all still with me? Okay. For those of you who are not, I'm almost done. All right? Here's, here's why I'm bringing that up. I think Lucas was on to something. Okay. Now, to be clear, not the whole yin-yang thing about the force, that's Hinduism. Okay? But, but when, I, when, when I talk about he's on to something, I mean this idea that, that there is good and evil behind the scenes, but, but on earth there are those influenced to various degrees by this, and, and that there is a root of all the corruption that existed even in that fictional world. And I think that bears a striking resemblance to, to what John's trying to, uh, has been trying to teach us through the book of Revelation. Okay, the portray How does power corrupt even the purest motives? Well, we're going to come face to face with that reality today. Thus far, we've seen Jesus revealed in all his glory in chapter 1, seven letters in chapters 2 and 3 to churches that encourage them in their unique context, a vision of God on his throne starting in chapter 4 as the sovereign ruler who controls all of history and a church that's promised to endure even the worst of persecution and suffering. Last week, we hit a pause button because that's what John did to give us a little intermission that, that our hope comes from a Messiah child who ultimately will slay the dragon, our enemy, Satan. And it's on the heels of that today that John's going to switch gears again through yet another vision that warns us of the following. When you and I are marginalized, when we are suffering, when we are persecuted, when we are uncertain of our future, Satan is going to tempt us with substitutes for God's promises that look very enticing. And most often, that's going to come through the temptation of power and influence. You think about that for a minute. That, that had to be a, a really powerful temptation for the first century church. Imagine all the opulence of Rome, all the pleasures of Rome, all of the idea behind, you know what, if I would just leave Jesus behind and go and partake in the pleasures. I could have a wonderful life, and I wouldn't be marginalized anymore. They wouldn't look at me like I'm weird anymore. They wouldn't accuse me of being the bad guy who's going to wreck the republic anymore. I, I, could just, I could just enjoy my life. That had to be an enticing temptation. Wait, wait, if I could just get, furthermore, if, if we could just get control of the seats of authority that is held by people who are now making us suffer, this next window that John opens 
is going to remind us, because it reminded them, don't be tempted by earthly power and influence because you are most powerful when you seem helpless. Paul put it this way, his power is perfected in my weakness. What's true for an individual is true for a church, and it's true for a culture, and it's true for a nation, and it's true anywhere that God's people gather. It is in our weakness. It is in that suffering that that prophetic word comes out. And so what I want to do, quite simply, I want to break down this vision, and then I want to come back and make some application. All right, and, and the vision is broken down in three ways, beginning with the beast from the sea. This vision of this beast is in chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. This short version description is that this, this beast represents the world powers who seek their own glory. Remember what we said at the outset of this. This book cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them, what it didn't mean to the first readers. Those first readers would have picked this up. They would have seen this vision of the beast, and their minds, having that, that Jewish connection, would have immediately gone back to Daniel chapter 7. And, and there's a vision in Daniel chapter 7 of four beasts there. And, and, and the meaning of that's pretty clear. He was speaking of Babylon, Persia, Mede and Greece, respectively. Now you have a vision, not of four beasts, but of one. And this one beast manifests in other kingdoms that are to come, beginning with Rome and then ending whenever the Lord comes back. All the other power structures, all the other state actors who will do the bidding of the dragon, they are embodied in this beast. And it's said of this beast in verse 4, they worship the dragon for he had given authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So they're, they're enraptured by this. They are, they really are. I mean, they're, they're just, they're, they're hypnotized by this allure of the beast. And, and that really is the point. Every earthly power structure in existence will eventually, and at various times during exi its existence, do the bidding of the dragon. In fact, there is not a government since John wrote these words, or even before he wrote them, not a human government in all of world history, including the one that you and I now live under, that has not at various times in its history committed blasphemy, set out to be its own master, and become beastly. This country? Yeah, this one. This one too. Hey, well, what do we do with what do we do with Romans thirteen in the middle of that? It's a good question. Paul tells us in Romans thirteen that government is a gift from God to our good. Kind of like sex in that way. Also a gift from God. It can be abused. It, it can become a god. It can become something that is bad and evil. So ideally, government is given, even Rome, Paul says, was given for our good. It's actually there to hold back evil, not to embody it. That's why it's there. And, and when the state acts as God intended it to act, it can be a very good thing. But when the state seeks to become a god, and that's what's happening here in this passage, we'll see it with more clarity in a moment. When the state seeks to become a god, it doesn't become more divine. It becomes demonic. And when we think that the way out of suffering or out of, uh, out of hardship or, or a path to greater prosperity for ourselves is to grasp for that earthly power structure, we have in that moment fallen for the enemy's lie and become beastly ourselves. That's what happened to the Roman Republic. Romans set out to be evil. Rome didn't set out to be a god. Slowly, imperceptively, seductively, over time, 
things begin to move in that direction. It started when they created patriotic gods that reflected the empire. That then morphed into Rome worshiping its own image. Then it further devolved when the emperor set himself up to be a god and demanded worship of all the people of the empire. Power that is no longer exercised under God will seek to play God. That's the warning here. And those earthly powers, they're attractive. They're attractive. See, some of y'all are thinking about the other side right now, and you need to be thinking about who you voted for, whoever that was. It's Because Satan doesn't come at you with a threat. He comes at you with seduction. It's attractive. Come get this. There'll be more money in your wallet. Come get this. There'll be more prosperity. Come get this. There'll be more security. Come get, listen, I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm saying if we get to the point where all of our souls are enraptured by this and, and just swallowed up by it, we got a problem. Those earthly powers will always be attractive. And, and here's the other thing John is going to go on and tell us in this vision. Those earthly powers will also always have company. Look at verse 11. We see the beast from the earth. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So I want you to think about this for a minute. You've got a beast from the the sea, you've got a beast from the earth, and then over all of that behind the scenes, you've got a dragon. That's otherwise known as an unholy trinity. What we see here is a substitute, an earthly, godless substitute for the triune God. Over against Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the dragon, the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth. And each proceeds from the other just like the Trinity. We know, because Scripture teaches this, that the Son proceeds from the Father, the Spirit proceeds from the Son, and here we begin to see this as well. The the first beast proceeds from the dragon. That's where he gets his authority. And the second beast then proceeds from the first and then turns around and gives his attention back to the first beast to encourage all of the populations of the earth to worship that first beast in exactly the same negative mirror image way that the spirit's job is to point to the sun. This is a very wily, very seductive, very satanic substitute. Jesus said the following about the Holy Spirit in John 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So this demonic counterfeit mimics that relationship. And both the attraction and mechanism for this promotion is political power. That's the warning. John is warning these churches. You are going to be offered a compromise, and it's going to seem awfully tempting Because it's going to come in the form of power and influence. And we see exactly what that looks like in the next section. Look with me at verse 16. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and its number is 666. Now, what's being described here is a strict governing of commerce. All right, That's what's going on in this vision. And that governance of commerce is tied to a mark, and that mark is tied to a man, a personality. And so here's the question. 
You don't have to agree with me, but I'm going to put this question in front of you. How do we read this? Do we give this a modern reading or do we give it a first century reading? I think you probably know where I'm going with this because I've told you from the beginning. It can't mean to us what it did not mean to them. And so if we need to understand the meaning of this, we need to ask what it meant to the first century church. Because a modern reading, by contrast, has given us quite a bit of hysteria. Would you agree? It just has. In the 1930s, it was social security numbers. In the 1950s, it was area codes because the country was getting big and we had to have phone numbers and yet you had to figure out which region. The only way they could do that was a three-digit number. People just went bonkers, okay? That was the 1950s. In the 1970s, there was this big rollout of credit cards. Listen, credit cards are the cigarettes, as Dave Ramsey says, of the financial world. We could talk for a long time about the potential evil of credit cards, but they ain't the mark of the beast. That's just dumb, okay? The 1980s, barcodes and UPC symbols, right? You remember hearing those stories? They're going to implant them here. They're going to put them here. Just a few months ago, it was a vaccine. 20 years ago, it was the internet, www. Let's figure this out. There's one common feature that causes us to just default to that kind of stuff, okay? And there's an institution or some kind of national change that people are suspicious of in the first place, and it's not wrong to be suspicious of your government. But but what happens is you take that a step further and you start to invoke religious language over it to justify your suspicions further, okay? So so here's why I'm arguing for a first century reading rather than a modern reading, because we've tried the modern reading for about the last 100 years, and our track record is worse than the Jehovah's Witnesses. So maybe we ought to try something else. Y'all still with me? Okay? Don't be dumb. That's my... Big idea here, all right? Don't immediately just, it's that, it's that. Here's here's my other fear, though, okay? That's where I'm going to get in trouble with some of you, and I I really don't, I I promise I don't get up here to make y'all mad, but some of y'all are going to be angry today. If you're dumb, you might end up wearing it. You're going to miss the warning that God's word is issuing to you when you go histrionics every time something happens in the world that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. That zero batting average is going to get you in trouble. And here's the big problem. We are looking at this passage, and for that matter, all of Revelation, like a crystal ball. Y'all know astrology and and mediums and fortune-telling is expressly forbidden in the Bible. You know that, right? So why don't we try to do it with the Bible? Think about that this week. You're expecting it to predict something for you. Here's what I'm going to suggest. Read this like an x-ray, all right? My daughter had a hairline fracture in a gymnastics accident Several weeks ago, she's, all, she's fine, she's good, but we took her to urgent care. You know what they did? They x-rayed, and then they put a picture up. What did that x-ray do? It looked through the skin and the muscles to the bone, and it pinpointed the problem. That's what this book is for us. It's not a crystal ball telling us what's going to happen. It's an x-ray revealing to us the reality behind what we think we know. 
And if we look at it like an x-ray, if we lay an x-ray over, over Revelation 13, what's the result? Well, the one clear thing is that this is a number connected to a man. And in the first century, the Jews shared a common code in Hebrew literature that cross-referenced letters to numbers. And when you use that cross-reference tool as it was intended, 666 translates precisely to the name Nero. Now, Nero probably was not in power when this book was written. He'd probably been out about about 30 years by that point. But people would have remembered Nero. He was the one who initiated this, this empire-wide persecution of Christians. They would have known him, all right? Nero was the one who persecuted Christians, who refused to worship him. And this mark was a symbol of the emperor's attempts to marginalize anyone who refused to take part in worshiping him as God. So John's initial audience, immediately, when they hear this, they're like, okay, they would have remembered who started it. They would have remembered when it started. And so here's what we can take away from this very brief look into the struggle of our first century brothers and sisters. It's vindication of what Paul teaches us about spiritual warfare and the world system. Here's what we know from the rest of the New Testament. That world system and our enemy who oversees it has throughout history conspired against the people of God by doing two things. Number one, seducing and enticing them to compromise with the powers of the world. Okay? Forehead, what is this? The theologian G.K. Bill, forehead represents ideological commitment and the hand, the practical outworking of that commitment. A mark on the forehead is symbolic for what's governing your thinking. A mark on the right hand is symbolic of what is your source of authority, from whence comes this, okay? This isn't some literal mark. This is a vision, and there's reality and truth behind that vision that you and I need to see. There's an enticement to compromise. Come here and take this breath. Come here, identify yourself with me. Come here, start to think like me. It'll be okay. Life will be better for you. And then if you don't do that, or even worse, if, if you fall into that trap and then later on realize, boy, I've gotten myself into a fix here. Like I've really, you know, I've really messed up. And you start to try to back away. Well, that's when the stick comes out with the carrot. Finding ways to marginalize you. Have we not seen that? in our own national discourse? Have you not seen the actions of the beast behind the veil? <clears throat> yeah, I know what some of you are thinking. We shouldn't talk about politics in the church. Politics is the point of this passage. Any other parts of the Bible you want to skip? It's the point. You want me to be faithful to the text or not? I, you know what? I love you, but forget you. I'm going to be faithful to the text. The temptation that historically has always come came in Rome. It came in other places. came in Cappadocia. Now comes to us in the form of state power and influence. And I, just, I really believe with all my hearts, brothers and sisters, that, that it is providential not only that we're having this discussion about this text with everything surrounding us that's going on in the world, but because it's 2022 
and, and maybe we've got a little bit cooler heads now than we had two years ago, but I'm going to tell you, 2024 is coming, and some of you are going to take the mark of the beast. Which candidate? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When all of your hope gets wrapped up in one side or the other, now we're, see, we're diverse here, so I don't, I don't know how many times i got to tell you this. Vote for who you want to vote for. Some of y'all are still going to make this about me slamming this candidate or slamming that candidate. And you, you either aren't listening or you're just outright refusing to listen to me because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is don't make a candidate your God. Don't put all your hope in some imperfect... Yeah, because here's what's going to happen. Enticement. I'll be good to Christians. I'll let you live out of it. I'll give you freedom. I'll give you prosperity. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. But, but there's a cost to that. And the cost comes at your faith. Okay? Too many Christians see either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party as some kind of savior. You're like, I do not. Well, maybe not. I don't know. But ask yourself a few questions. Do you talk more about Jesus or Trump? I'm serious. If I, looked at your, if I looked at your social media right now, what would I see? Would I even see anything of the Son of God? You talk more about Jesus or Biden? What, 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 what's captured your imagination? What, what, what dominates your conversation? Is it the systems of the world and everything you need that has led to all of this? If you're different than me, then I'm not even talking to you anymore. Some of you still got empty chairs at your dining room table because you won't talk to even your own family over this kind of stuff. You've seen the rotten fruit of this. And you continue to, to give in to the enticement because my side is a savior and the other side, well, that's where all the problems come from. See, that's, where, that's why we've got, even in the middle of a housing market, where you're going to have to pay $150,000 more than the thing's worth, you're going to move anyway, right? And listen, if you're moved, I said something about this last week. If you have relocated here, I'm glad you're here, okay? And there's all kinds of reasons people move. I'm not telling you you're in sin because you move. And, and maybe some of those reasons have to do with civic reality. You got tired of high taxes somewhere else, and so you came to West Virginia. I understand that. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I'm moving here because I don't want to be around people like that. People Jesus died to save? Those people? What, what's it going to be? That's enticing. Okay? And you have in that moment fallen for a satanic counterfeit, and you need to heed the warning here. You don't need to change your party affiliation. You don't need to change whoever you intend on voting for. Listen, I honestly could care less about that right now. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but I'm saying my highest priority is the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. And I, and I really am just crazy enough to believe that yours should be too if you claim the name of Jesus. Here's the warning. Do not, do not, do not interlace your identity with the powers of this earth. And here's the reason why. Whether you lean left or whether you lean right, you need to understand that you are in league with people who a lot of them have really good intentions, even if you may not agree with the outcome or the outcome may not be that good. They're good up to a point. They serve well up to a point. And after that, they serve the dragon. All 
All of them. That's the warning here. And so follow a candidate, vote for a candidate, do what you got to do to engage in civil society, but you better keep a safe distance because at some point you're going to be called to be a prophet and you might give up at that point. Because the second thing these people will do is they will marginalize you. You may hate this. I love you. I hate that you hate this. But it's the truth. I've been here for more than six years now. Have y'all, have y'all known me to change my tune even an inch on this kind of crap since I've been here? Anybody? Is anybody so outside your mind right now that you think I'm going to give in to pressure and change now? I love you too much and I fear God too much. And I'm telling you, this is what the Word of God is trying to warn us against. Here's what's going to eventually happen, right? It's not going to be obvious, all right? Some of y'all got these weird kind of a apocalyptic in the, in the dumb kind of way, vision of the mark of the bit. Like, you, you take this mark or we're going to shoot you in the head. Your, your enemy's smarter than that. You'd see that coming, would you not? We'd see that coming. Satan doesn't operate through overt threats. Satan operates through seduction. Satan operates through, through attraction. What did he do in the garden? Has God really said? Oh, he really didn't say that. Oh, you know what? If you'll just do this anyway, then, then this is what you'll get, right? I know he said not to do it. I know he said not to touch it. But, but really, if you'll, if you'll do it anyway, right? That, wow. That sounds like somebody I heard in a political convention a few weeks ago talking to Christians saying, look, I know y'all trying to follow Jesus and all, but this turn-the-other-cheek stuff has gotten us nothing. I don't think any of y'all want what the alternative to that is going to get you in eternity. Has God said? Has God said? It's not going to be, it's going to be subtle, it's going to be tempting, and your enemy and mine has centuries of experience perfecting his craft around the allure. Right. And again, I mean, just what, what captures your mind and your heart and your speech more? This is a warning not to worship the state. Don't put your hope in something that cannot save. If you ignore that warning, if you lean into some political figure, some kind of cultural savior, that's where the other side of this starts to kick in. Those people will expect total allegiance from you and the moment you don't give it to them you're going to get marginalized you, you've lost I'm gonna tell, it's one of the reasons I was so encouraged with what I saw in Ukraine I'm like the church hasn't lost its prophetic voice over there I was so glad to see that yeah, the, the church represents the king of kings the, the lord of lords when you, when you don't give absolute allegiance to the people that you're tempted to entangle with you're going to suffer. You're going to get money. And some of you have already lost your prophetic voice. You've already lost it. If you lean progressive, I, 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 can't really, I can't really be faithful to what the Bible says about marriage and sex and gender. They'll call me a hater. They'll call me a bigot. They'll call me, if you lean conservative, man, the way some people in my party talk about the most vulnerable people in this country, I... I didn't, but I can't, I can't really speak against that. They'll, 
They might call, they might call me a liberal. Is that, is that worse than going to hell? I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Right? Tell me that's not happening right now. Tell me that's not happening. Keep holding claims to your allegiance up to that x-ray that we've been given right here. The Word of God will reveal to you what's behind the scenes. Be willing, if necessary, to be marginalized. Because that's just a sign you're not home yet. So that's what I fear, especially for Christians in the West, is that you're, you're running around and whatever the next thing is, right? I mean, we're beyond the COVID vaccine fight. We're, we're all beyond that and the mark of the beast and all that. There'll be something else. There's been something else for 100 years, and you're going to jump on that train, and you're going to... Oh my goodness, they're going to do it. They're going to be, and, and, and in the meanwhile, you're, you're already running around with the mark. I mean, it is firmly stamped on your ideological worldview. It is firmly within the grip of your hand, of, of, of your authority, and, and the way you think. You can't help it. You can't think critically anymore. Because it's governed everything about you. There's no way to put on the mind of Christ. Nobody needs to put a chip in your forehead. You've already, you're already wearing it. It's already there. And that's the warning. That's the warning. By the earthly powers that you put your confidence in, by the fact that you're not serious about holiness, by the fact that you continue to hold hands with your sin and refuse to let it go, by the fact that you refuse to be serious in your relationship with God, walking around with the mark of the beast. And the encouragement in light of that is for you to live with a different kind of mark. Verse 1 of chapter 14, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. So at the center of earthly power and comfort and compromise, right here on the margins are the vulnerable of this world. And they're marked by their worship. Look at verse 7. He said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And then after this comparison, another warning beginning in verse 8. Another angel, a second followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. That party that you put all your faith in, that, that, that politician you put all your faith in, they're dead. They are going to die one day. You know that, right? I does that surprise anybody? They're going to die one day. Probably not too far in the future because they're all old. <laughs> that machination, that political machine, that, 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 that political move, that country, that fallen. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Don't convince, you can't convince me that's not true of the United States of America right now. We're covered with it. It's right in front of me right now. I don't have to go to Bourbon Street, New Orleans, to see it. It's happening right in front of me. People that claim to belong to Jesus, giving their bodies away. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on its forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. That's why I said, I don't think you want the alternative that they're promising you. 
poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. That temporary kingdom that's calling to you and enticing you and, and seeks to capture your loyalty and take away your prophetic voice in the process, it, it's going to end up on, a, on an historical trash heap. Pastor, you mean this country? Yeah. Yeah. And I love this country. I do. I get to travel all over. I've gotten to travel all over the world in my ministry, and I love it, and the cultures I've been introduced to, and the things that God has taught me. But I'm one of those dudes that I want to kiss the ground when I get here. I do. Because some of y'all haven't traveled internationally, and you don't understand, like, even just basic stuff like ice. Every single time I come back from Asia, give me a cup of ice. You want anything in it? No, just ice. I just want ice, right? It's these simple little pleasures, right? First time I ever came back from Vietnam, we entered the country through Dallas-Fort Worth. I, I don't even remember the restaurant, but they had a Jack Daniels barbecue bacon burger. Baby, God bless America. I love this country. All right, I'm just telling you, I, I'm not coming at this from any sense of, right? I, and I get there's a lot of people, it's America's oppressive. And it, what are you typing that from your iPhone? Shut up. All right, I'm not telling you that you got a cap on it. Furthermore, I've, I love West by God, Virginia. I do. I've lived here six years. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I like, I mean, after 11 years in Maryland, I like being able to tell people that I own guns without them looking at me like I belong on a watch list or something. I, it's not like I don't have feelings about these things or opinions about them. My kids have been taught to stand for the national anthem. I, all that stuff. But let us never give the impression that we bear equal allegiance to the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. We do not if we follow Jesus. And that's the point here. That's the point. Every bit of that stuff I said, it's great to a point. But after that, it serves the beast. So to invoke the words of Jesus, you can be in it. You had better not be of it. Do not let Jesus return and find you stamped with that mark. Come out of it. Be separate. Think I've read some of these things before. Which kingdom is primary to you? That's the question. All right. Don't just answer the question. Ask yourself, which is more reflected in your life? What do I talk about more? Which kingdom occupies my mind? What causes me to, to lose sleep? Because here's the call. Number one, have a healthy suspicion of all earthly power. All right. Some of y'all trust the government way too much when your person is in there and way too little when somebody you don't like is in there. And you're letting that guide you rather than just going, you know what? Earthly power in general bends toward the beast. God's word just told me that. Constantly check your allegiance, especially when your allegiance is beckoning you in your walk toward the lamb by saying, well, that, that's, that, that's far enough. That's far enough. I mean, you wouldn't want to dare be a radical follower of Christ, would you? Number three, get your victory through worship. 
That's what the first century church was challenged to do. That's what our Ukrainian brothers and sisters are doing right now. See, early in this passage, we learned no state actor in human history has ever lasted as long as the church. So don't fear the state. What great hope is that? Don't be afraid of the state. Well, well, now that coin has flipped and John's given this to us from the other side. No state actor can save you. No state actor can fix everything that's wrong with the world. Don't be afraid of the state. Don't worship the state. When the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity in the 4th century, and there's a lot of research that suggests, and I think it's sound, that it was more of a, a conversion of convenience. And I'm not I'm not judging the man's heart, but I do think it's necessary for us to talk about that to understand history and where it went from there. I don't know that this guy had some vision and he said, okay, I'm supposed to repent of my sins and follow Jesus now. I think the the evidence of that was in the actions he took after his supposed conversion. The most likely thing is he saw all these people coming to Christ in a Roman empire that he was starting to lose control over and he didn't want to get stabbed in the shower. And so he said, I better do something. And, And so he made Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire. And if you think that was a good idea, you haven't paid attention to anything I've said in the last 40 minutes. Church and state wed. You know what the result was? Ugliest baby you ever seen. It's called civil religion. And back and forth over the last several centuries, It has gone to hell and regrouped and come back in a more attractive package. But it's the same crap. Civil religion. Over time, it would dilute the gospel message. It would turn that conflated civil religion with crosses all over it toward the beast and his image. John is telling him, telling those Christians, and he's telling us, you you need to choose the margin. Let me just put it plainer than that. Jesus, through the granting of these visions to his servant John, is telling us, not only do I not want you to fear the margin, not only do I I want you to refrain from grasping at the center of power, you need to understand the margins are exactly where I want you. You're my people, not Caesar's. This is where I want you. Because the power of the gospel is never heard more loudly or seen more clearly than when you're out here and you don't have any power, and yet you do. And have we not seen that throughout history? That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. It's hard, and it's going to get harder. Listen, I, I know where I live. I know when I live. This is a very unpopular message right now, and it's only going to get more unpopular. But it is the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel. I'm telling you, ignoring what John says here is how you end up with far-right churches with more Trump stickers than fish on the back of their cars, and it's how you end up with far-left churches who have put up Black Lives Matter and rainbow flags and taken down all the crosses. That's how it happens. Here's the other side. We were made for a moment like this. You're going to meet it? You're going to lay everything down and give it to Jesus? When everybody else, over the course of the next 24 months, starts fighting and talking about civil war again and blame shifting and playing whataboutism, 
will you serve? Will you love everybody? Will you love your neighbors as yourself? Will you honor the Lamb who has marked you? That's the path to faithfulness. Everything else ends up on the trash heap of history. The church has survived all of those great empires. It's going to survive this one. It's going to survive any that come after it until Jesus comes. Identify yourself with that. Be marked with that. Stand on those margins with the prophetic voice of the Lord Jesus if that's what it costs you. And be faithful unto the end. Let's pray. Father, Lord, may every word be stricken, but that which you want to use, along with the power of your Holy Spirit to drive into the hearts of your people, may no offense in what I've said remain except that of the cross and the gospel. Father, may the warning of this passage cause us to refuse cause us to shout with one voice, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Even when he's my preferred Caesar. And Lord, may we embody what it means to be citizens of the kingdom, clinging to the substance of what we hope for, the evidence of things we do not yet see, Father, may your spirit transform us today. And may your people, even in light of everything going on in the world right now, the price of gas, some of them it was a sacrifice just to get here today. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for empowering them to be able to do that. And the things going on around the world. But Father, None of that needs to change. May these people have a hope put in their heart that can only be placed there by your Spirit. And may they leave six inches off the ground rejoicing that they and I and we are marked by the Lamb of God, redeemed by his blood. May we rejoice in that. May, may the volume in our voices in these next few moments reflect it. And I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi everybody, Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.